Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Oregon Libertarian Podcast. I'm Will Hobson, and uh, welcome to the first episode of 2023. Um, we're going to be bringing on today um, Mikey. Uh, uh, he runs the Jimmy Dore Show uh, Discord. Um, and I just thought he'd be a really interesting guest to bring on to talk about the very large following that Jimmy Dore has, uh, his fan base, uh, maybe some interesting details about that and, you know, why it's, why it's kind of significant to the political conversation. So, uh, thanks for joining us, Mikey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. One sec. Let me get my, this up. Okay. Yeah. Um, so just our, my first question is, so this discord I assume is the, is like an official discord that's like sanctioned by the show like were were you asked to mod for this or moderate it or so uh it started off as a fan-based uh discord it was created by uh reef and indy uh reef's the main admin and then indy uh helped because he already had a lot of connections in the left space um and then i joined i think about a year later uh, just coming in and saying, I'm a huge fan of Jimmy Dore, and, you know, it's great that there's a Discord. And uh, I've been very active on the server, so uh, then I got upgraded to a mod. And then uh, something happened where uh, both those users, uh, Reef and Indy, uh, D- Discord um, destroyed their user accounts because they were associated with the Combo Couch, which... I, I don't know. It's a long story, but uh, so then I kind of became the most senior and then th- that's when they both kind of dropped off. So for the last year and a half, I'd say that I, I've been like the main admin, uh, just de facto of the server. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 I, I will say um, <clears throat> getting on there, uh, it seems like there's a wide range of like political camps on the server that kind of more or less get along pretty well. Uh, is, is that, at least that's my take. What do you, what is your take of the, the political landscape of the server? Yeah. And I'd say that we fostered that uh, to a great degree. Uh, my history with discord before that was I just from time to time, I would jump in and jump off on the, the Kyle Kalinske uh, uh, server. Uh, and I always was struck with how the people who were, on that discord uh bore no resemblance to Kyle Kalinsky's politics like they 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 kind of uh you know just were very different people and i realized that that's kind of the default of what happens to political discords when they're poorly moderated they just kind of become this like whoever's the loudest voice kind of takes over and then that's the politics of the server so um we try to keep it interesting try to keep it so that the different people who are on the server, um, you know, have countering opinions and kind of, but in in a friendly way. And as long as uh, our main criteria is that people are uh, honest about their opinions, they're not trying to like deceive anyone. And uh, secondarily, um, there's like two types of users. I kind of group people into two types of users. Ones that are true Jimmy Dore fans and I say that I treat them like family and then everyone else, I treat them like guests. So there's kind of different privileges for those two groups, but uh, as long as you're friendly and you want to have honest conversations, you're perfectly fine to be on the server and we have great conversations. 
Yeah, I, I will say uh, I've been tipped off to some bits of news uh, in, in that server. Like, I don't, don't feel like I would have found anywhere else. There's some really interesting reporting going on on like uh, uh, <clears throat> different like flight paths for like different uh, military aircraft in Europe. Um, some reporting going on on the war in Ukraine, and sometimes it can get kind of heated and <laughs> yeah, intense, but. It, it's calmer. It's calmer these days. But I'd say that uh, when it comes to Ukraine, early on, like it kind of, and and this is true of any U.S. Uh, in, uh, wars where there's a U.S. interest, um, is that there's really just one side that you're allowed to talk about, and you can't talk about the other side. So that's another example, like where we wanted to encourage that there be. You know, and and we're not. There's there's people on the server who are uh, pro, uh, like more the the uh, Russian side of things, sure. But not to neglect people who are also, uh, you know, maybe more on the NATO side of things. Uh, lately, the ones who are speaking the most are the uh, Russian side, and I think that people are. Um, they they like that there's an outlet that they can turn to to get that information because if you're an English speaker, it's very difficult to get that side. You it, it, there's so much overwhelming information that's coming straight from U.S. policymakers that it's just very difficult to uh, to get both sides. And if you want to have an informed opinion, it's good to to get like a balanced. What is one side saying? What's the other side saying? If I could ask you, Mike Burke, here by the way, Hi. Peter Panarchy. Um, I organizing here in Oregon. Do you notice that there's a lot of people there that are just completely pro-Russian, or is it more just people that are pro-de-escalation and pro-ending of the war? Or are those two things become almost the same now at this point? There's a balance, and I think that you do see the nuance in each individual. Uh, some people are. I mean, there's there's also people. That, our server is not americans like there 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 are uh mostly americans but uh, uh people from a lot of places and there's people who are very close to russia some who are russian some who are ukrainian some who are uh from europe and are deeply affected by what's happening over there so um that that's kind of the composition that you get some people are straight up pro uh russia and some of them are um that as you say they just want to de-escalate but what's useful is just having all the information, like kind of a pipeline of what is Russia saying that helps people just kind of understand what's going on. Yeah, these, uh, I would say like, you know, when we get called like Putin puppet or pro-Russia, that that's like a, you know, kind of an uh, an, an, an insult. It's not very true. Uh, you know, that that's just kind of something that people throw out there to name call us. But these people on the server would like self-identify as like, yes, I am pro-Russia. So, yes, yes, some would, yeah. Got it. Yeah. And that's kind of an important distinction, right? Because they always say, like, oh, this is Russian state-sponsored media. It's like, well, what do you call the New York Times? They're like, oh, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. So it's important to read what your quote-unquote enemies are saying just to know people's motiva- motivations, even if you don't agree with them. Like, there's a reason why the stuff that bin Laden said before 9-11 was important, even if you don't agree with it, because it kind of explained... Yeah. Like I'll say as a, just as an individual, you want to have an informed opinion. You want to know as much as you can about whatever's out there about a certain topic to form an opinion. And I think I have a knee-jerk reaction when someone tells me to not 
look into something like that's when you've got to look into it. So I, I think, and, and when it comes to wars, most of all, even if, even if you listen to both the American take, the NATO take and the Russian take, um, there's still so much fog of war that really no one knows what's happening. But I think it's, it's good to get as much information as you can uh, and kind of, you see patterns, you start seeing patterns. Every war kind of has the same building blocks and uh, uh, everyone's really working on their own selfish interests and Americans has, have their own interests uh, on that. Um, so yeah, that, that's how it works out. I, I will definitely say I have that, a uh, very similar like knee-jerk reaction of somebody says, I don't want you to see this. And it was like, well, now I want to know more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's usually where the interesting stuff is anyway. And it allows you to, to stick out from the narrative that they're trying to build in your mind that you, you uh, get, you know, find, find where are the tidbits to have a complete understanding, not the understanding that they're presenting to you on a platter. Absolutely. So, so when did you come on as a mod? Uh, I don't think you said the the, the year. Uh, well, I, it's more like working forward from when the server was created. I thinking in terms of working backwards, maybe three years. I'll I'll, I'll pitch that up, but I don't know if that's accurate at all. Oh, okay. All right. So the then the server's been up for three years. Or no, it would be four years. So it's one four. more year than how long I've been. Yeah, I was trying to think of when Jimmy Dore started his uh, his YouTube channel because I know he worked at the Young Turks, yeah, for, for a while. So I was trying to kind of figure out like what the history of the the show was. Is that so? It started about twenty eighteen. Really, only that? Oh, I guess no, 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 because they they went over. Um... Uh, the first burning campaign, which would have been 2016, he was still uh, he was heavily involved at TYT at that time. Okay. Uh, so it had been if I had to throw a number out there, I'd say like 2014. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Yeah, I uh, I just discovered him like in the last like couple of years, so a few years. So um, I I was really like uh, impressed by by him because I was like, man, if I had found Jimmy Dore. And a much, you know, you know, much younger Will would have been like, oh yeah, this is the guy. Like, I would have been, uh, I would have been very impressed and been like a, a big follower for a longer time. But if for some reason, just didn't, just didn't stumble across him. I don't, or his stand up. I don't ever feel like I saw his stand up. I, but he it looks like he's been doing stand up for decades. So yeah, we saw yeah him last he, year. He, he, his show. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying we saw him last year. Great show. What? Well, I, I know, but I, what I'm saying, I'm talk, I'm going back like a couple of years from from that too. Like I, I yeah, we we saw a stand up and it was great. But I'm, I'm talking about like prior to like 2019, I think. Yeah. I, so I, both I both his show, his like YouTube show and his stand up has gone through a great transformation. So his, if you look at his earlier earliest clips, and that, this is true of maybe a lot of uh, anyone really, if you go on on YouTube and you go to like what's the first video, uh, it was a little bit cringy. Like there there was not a lot of um, uh, the the studio setup wasn't really good, the audio wasn't good, and he was uh, much more reading from a script. Um, but you know, you stick at anything for, and you do it several times a week uh, for a long enough time, you become a pro at it. So, 
uh, he, so, so the history of his stand-up is that he started off as just a kind of like a normal stand-up, but always with a little bit of a political edge to him. Uh, and it started off um, where he, his stand-up was just normal stand-up. And he still does that kind of stand-up to this day. But he discovered kind of by watching Daily Show and stuff, that kind of format where you could show something that the media is saying and then point out, see this, what the media is saying is lie and make that kind of comedic. So he, he borrowed that and started bringing it to his shows and he realized that um, the audience really responded strongly to it. So um, that's kind of, I'm guessing that's where Jank from the Young Turks kind of discover him or something. And then, uh, so he came on to uh, initially just as a comedian to talk about comedy in the space and uh, he was a big hit. So then they started bringing him on uh, more, uh, hired him uh, to do some shows on the, uh, on the Young Turks. And, um, and he's kind of perfected the craft of how he prepares for the shows. And I think that there's, it's always like the iceberg kind of effect. Like you see that, even though he makes it seem effortless, he puts so much effort into preparing for his shows. Like each, uh, on one part, all of his individual shows, like all his his segments that he does on his show uh, are well-researched and he, he, he puts in the effort for that. But also you'll notice if you watch a lot of Jimmy Dore that he has certain set, um, uh, like two or three minute uh presentations that he slides into his show like things that he wants to really hammer home where he'll say the same thing and you, you see kind of he has this trigger word will say something and then he'll, he'll his volume will go up and he's going to be very expressive and energetic about trying to convey something and he makes those points very well so his his audience are um you know really pick up on these things that uh and fully agree with with what he says he, he he's good at really making a point yeah yeah no uh i i've enjoyed his uh yeah his shows quite a bit i i've found that i i really missed uh in the early 2000s i i really was a big fan of like john stewart in the daily show and that that kind of way of like delivering news in kind of a comedy format and kind of like tearing it apart and kind of making fun of the powers that be and i i have missed that ever since and obviously, John Stewart is a pale, pale shadow of what he used to be. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, which is so dis- disappointing. But uh, like so many heroes, they you know they eventually <laughs> yes they have to stick with it. Kind of, it's it's an effort. It's an effort to stay informed and to uh, not fall for the latest thing. Uh, indeed, and uh, Jimmy Dore has definitely, I feel like, taken up that uh, that mantle and is a very good replacement. Um, one, one thing that he says is that he starts from the assumption that the the military or the deep state or whatever is um, is lying and works backwards from there and gets a much more accurate view of what ha- is happening in the world than if you just take them at their word and then later correct to say, oh, it turns out that they were lying. You know, it's they're, they're lying a lot more often than they're not lying. So if you listen to what they say and then you assume they're lying, you can probably make some conclusions uh, more quickly than if you take them at their word. Yep. So uh, that's kind of Occam's razor. It's like, well, the military industrial complex lies and they're probably lying now, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, did you have any other uh, questions, Peter? Yeah, I had a 
yeah, I just really love the way. Can 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 you speak a little bit closer to your to your mic? Can you be better now. Yeah. Okay. I just I mean I love the way that Jimmy just kind of cuts through the bullshit and gets right to the heart of issues. It really kind of it's what attracts I think Will and I to Dave Smith as well. Like I was just listening to uh, him on Michael Malice's show last week talking about uh, the Syrian gas attacks and how they were fake and how he's like, well, even if they were real, why is gas so much worse of a way to kill people? It's fine if you make Christian bombs in a Christian bomb factory yeah. and kill it. <laughs> really good point. Um, uh, is that Jimmy that you're quoting there? Yeah, that's Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. But uh, I wanted to ask you something. Um, so for this alliance is forming between the Mises caucus of the LP and the anti-authority and anti-authoritarian left. One thing I'd really like to see out of it is a coalition on gun policy. Um, I think that like that should be palatable to people that really understand how truly evil the people that run the U.S. and other governments are. We're talking about people that are totally willing to watch children like die by the tens of thousands, maybe in hundreds of thousands, we'll see, in Yemen just to placate the Saudis, I think were Obama's exact words. Like more likely, it's just to keep the petrodollar system alive and the price of oil low. I mean, if you're an enemy of the COVID vaccine mandates, as I know Jimmy was, I mean, look what they're able to do in Australia, like compared to the United States. Like they shut down the borders between like their versions of states, many cases. They had much more severe lockdowns. And they even instituted like check-ins where you had to show you were in your home by using your cell phone to prevent the police from coming yeah. to your house. Do you think so it's just bad. a coincidence that those people didn't have guns and the government here wasn't able to go as far? Or like, how has your opinion on guns changed at all over the last two years? And I guess, how do you feel about gun rights in general? Well, I don't know if I would narrow it to the last two years, but I, I've, you know, in my life, I've gone, it's, it's gone from kind of a simplistic view on guns to something more uh, broad and, and nuanced. Uh, I, I personally, um, like I'm, I'm nervous around guns. Like if I go to a country that hat where, where like uh, you walk through a gated area and then there's, there's two guards at the front and they're both holding guns and stuff. Uh, I, I don't like the feel of that. And I try to, I guess to form an opinion, I try to like separate that emotional feeling from, uh, you know, uh, w- whether or not it's, it's got a uh, value to it. Um, I, I'm not, I'm, I would say it's kind of like similar from my opinion on abortion. Like I'm, I'm not really strongly on either end. It's not, uh, it's not something I would fight for, uh, in my list of priorities of like what I want to do. So if there, if it had to be an area of concession where I would say, okay, like, uh, if I'm going to get a good a victory on this, then I'm willing to uh, be okay on guns. Uh, I'd be willing to to make that change. And also another thing. So so I'm I'm Canadian, by the way. Uh, it, but I know in the U.S., like guns are a really major thing, and uh, it's it's a, it's it would require a very hard fight anyway, if if you wanted to make an to to move things towards less guns than towards more guns. So is that really something that anyone should put time and effort into? I don't think so. So. Uh, that's my view on things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I came from the left originally. I, you know, I didn't grow up in a household with guns. So uh, I guess I didn't really ever get like, you know, like you were saying, super comfortable with them. I was like, kind of like a little weary. Cause I was like, well, this could, you know, and you know, I think well, like rightfully so like this could end your life very yeah. quick. 
Like, and so like, there's, there's almost like a very <clears throat> reasonable, like animal, like fear of like the same reason why you don't want to get too close to the edge of a cliff, you know, or well, it's like kind of, it's, it's how much do I trust humans? And I, I, well, okay. So like to the same extent, you also trust humans to when you're crossing the street and then there's a car, you, you trust that car to slow down for you. So you have to have some trust in humans, but it's just adding one other way that humans can kill each other. Uh, yeah, 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 right? I, yeah, and and so sometimes I I I definitely agree. I'm very sympathetic. Like that's how I kind of initially see it, but then you know, I, as I've gotten older and intellectually, it's like, oh my god, I need the government to have this kind of same fear about me. Like I, <laughs> like like they've they've really because otherwise they'll just they'll be like, well, they we don't have to fear their our populace. We can just run roughshod over them and take all their liberties and stuff. So like I I've definitely seen the, uh, I, you know, as a, I've been a libertarian for many years. I have long since seen like the grim, you know, duty of like, okay, I need to have lethal force, you know, to be a, like a counterbalance to other lethal force that's out there in the world. And but, uh, by the way, is your take on guns uh, mainly to defend yourself from the government it's it's nothing else uh like for example if someone an intruder comes into your house or something like that then you would use the gun in that situation as well i think it's it's kind of a i like to think of it more as a deterrent and both like anybody that would want to violently harm me or steal my property so uh if the government decides it that's them then you know that you know it's you know it, you know, I, I definitely think Peter's right. You know, like in Australia, I feel like, you know, their government has been a lot more like, oh, there's really nothing for us to fear from our people. Let's let's like create actual camps that we can toss people into. And, you know, we don't like what they're doing on this particular thing. Like, let's um, let's lock everyone in their house. Let's chase down people who are just trying to, like, walk out of their house to jog for a second. Like that. That was that's a real like bizarre like i feel like 1984 isn't really even a good like analogy of it it's like they went well, way too far <laughs> i i think you you need to have uh more bravery i think that there's a lack of bravery and awareness and i think that uh, also um people are avoiding becoming aware of stuff because then it kind of becomes a responsibility. Like if you know something, then you have to do something about it. Mm. And so I think there's a lot of people who they get when they get, uh, they, they see news as, as something that's uh, uh, something they opt out of and they don't have to get involved. But I think that the power of having a large segment of the population, you know, that they say that you don't really need a lot of people like 2%, 3% or whatever, but let's say that you had more than 50% in the streets and, and just like really, really active. Um, what, what, what would they do? They would kill everyone kind of thing. Like uh, there's a point where the game is over and uh, Indeed. you know, they, they can't really run things anymore. Uh, if everyone is opting out, it's the same thing. Like the the value the value of currency is you know, us all agreeing that we can use it to trade for goods and stuff. Uh, uh, there's a number of things like that which are just their value that we imbue into them uh, just because we all agree to it. So, um, I, like, 
whether weapons are necessary or not, um, you know, like, uh, uh, let, let's say it's not, it's not really a topic that I, uh, I, I think I bring a lot of value to because I'm not, um, not someone who, 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 ha- who makes good, uh, uh, strong opinions in terms of guns. I, I, I'm open to, uh, to, um, using it as a, uh, bargaining chip you know and so is jimmy by the way he's he said so in uh, other interviews like he said that it, he'd be willing to uh trade gun policy for medicare for all yeah yeah i know he uh, had that talk with uh dave smith where he, yeah. he they were like well you know like we really don't like <laughs> You know, doing healthcare in this big like force system, but like if you wanted to, and I and and I know that uh, a lot of Jimmy Dore people that are are pro, uh, you know, Medicare, you know, in that way are aren't thinking of it in like the oh this is like a system we're forcing on everyone, um, but you know it, it it's definitely something like like we fear centralized systems and like the tyranny that they can bring so like i like that dave kind of got jimmy to kind of like whittle down on like okay maybe just at the state level and maybe we could figure out a way to get it down to the local level yeah because- and and I, and I agree with that too however uh for medicare for all uh, or or any kind of medicare plan uh you know there's a uh, economies of scale type situation where you know you can get better prices if you negotiate at the national level than at like every municipality has their own negotiation happening you know but just like with the military industrial complex you know we we spend like more more on our military than like several of the next countries combined like a lot more and when you see like some of the things like are you familiar with like the f-35 uh no fighter jet okay it is a giant piece of hot garbage it is like a really poorly made plane that always has glitches always has problems it's extremely expensive it's it was a giant boondoggle uh ron paul's talked about it before uh which has been some pretty funny uh tweets but uh the um yeah it's uh but it is you know it that's not a unique aspect of like the military industrial complex, basically like wasting things in the government. Of course. Yeah. Kind of allowing for these really huge inefficiencies in, you know, this, the scale you know. of waste in the uh, military is absurd. Exactly. It's absurd. It's like, exactly. <laughs> who knows? 98% of it is completely disappears. And, uh, yeah, it serves no value of defense also at all. Also, the biggest yes, polluter by which is... out of any other industry, as far as the environment goes. It, it, yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, but uh, j- there's really no reason why the same thing wouldn't happen. I feel like with like, and it has been happening with uh, you know, the medical industry. It's like it, it creates, it would create waste, and uh, it would create a lot of like lobbying to like, oh, okay, well, I want my medicine to be in all these hospitals, even though it sucks and it's really expensive. Um, there's nobody saying like, uh, hey, maybe we shouldn't use this. Be like, well, hey, if you say that we shouldn't use this, so and so made you know um, medicine X plant on you know in so and so's district. Well, now well, you're talking about already exists it's the FDA, right? Know, which- yeah. <laughs> but we, and I feel like we just get that on steroids, like even more so than it already well, is. Well, so so when 
when someone when Jimmy uh, argues for Medicare for all, he does narrow the scope of what he's advocating for. It's really just uh, where the the money is coming from. It's it's the insurance money is coming from the government as opposed to coming from uh, the the private industry. So uh, it's not about making rules that the doctors still make all the decisions and everything like that. It's just uh, from from the economic standpoint, they negotiate the price, they set the price, and then the price is, is given to all of the uh, healthcare in, in the U.S. will just have it. So, so their output is really setting a number that everyone will work, on, uh, work off of in, uh, in the U.S. I guess one question on that, I mean, I would totally – for the most part, willing to make that trade, especially because we're about to lose our gun rights here in Oregon if we don't do much about it. There's a lot going on here. But do you think that if there had been, well, I guess you're in Canada, I, I guess I'm curious to know, um, with the system that run there, was there a lot of, hey, you have to have the COVID vaccine in order to even get health care? Um, is there a danger of that happening? Like, so know, yeah, so I, yeah, I'd like to talk about Canada for a little bit. Uh, Canada, uh, had uh so i at the time was in quebec the province of quebec uh and at the time um uh they had i think that they ran covid more or less okay in terms of balancing the people who really were pro vaccine and people who were against you know you have to play politics a little bit but one thing that they did that i was really against was um the they had the nurses they mandated on the nurses the vaccines uh so that was really atrocious because first of all like a lot of places uh in north america uh we have a massive shortage of nurses and nurses are compared to the general population we're a lot more hesitant to uh to adopt the vaccine and if that's not a warning <laughs> i don't know what is you know they're the most informed and they're the ones who are most likely to not want to take the vaccine um but that was a big problem because uh, they they forced a lot of them they, they just wouldn't pay them and so a lot of them decided well maybe i'm done with being nursing so they took a, a bad problem and they made it way worse and i was very strongly against any form of mandating of the the vaccines to begin with and as you know, Canada's known in the last year or two, uh, when they last last January, they had um, the the trucker protests, and that's something where I mean, I've I actually lost a friend over over that conversation, which really surprised me. I never thought that I would lose a a friend on political grounds. I didn't think that my friends were particularly uh, political to that point, but uh, I strongly. Uh, even, you know, if my politics don't line up necessarily with the, at least how they're presented on TV, the protesters, but the, the protesters really are diverse fabric of a lot of different types of people, but they like to characterize them as uh, the right wing extremists, like Trumper kind of people. Um, and, and, and of course, they, they, they showed the the Nazi flag, even though like one person showed up with one and they kept showing that on TV over and over again. Was, uh, hey, so sir, was it yeah. a Nazi flag or was it just like the, um, the flag of the South? Was it the, the, like, is that, is that what it was? Maybe, that, maybe that's, 
Uh, I don't know if it was a, like a swastika hmm. or. I thought it was a swastika, but you know, maybe my memory's working wrong. But the point is, it, oh, whatever yeah. it was, it was something that was. Uh, now, I, I feel I would have reacted the same way if it was just the the flag of the south. Um, but regardless, anyway, so they heavily politicized. I've never seen Canadian media, and I mean, I'm not saying that uh, Canadian media is, is saintly or anything like that. Uh, but it generally, let's say it's, it's generally better than American media. Uh, but on this, there was definitely a heel turn of all of the Canadian media was all on board. All the political parties, it was very heartbreaking that, uh, you know, Canada has a, a stronger third party type of fabric to it. The, the the Green Party and the NDP are two uh, two third parties that are um, you know get some seating in uh, in Parliament. Uh, there's usually one seat for the Green Party and uh, several seats for the NDP. In fact, uh, 15 or whatever years ago, the the um, minority party was uh, the NDP, meaning the second place party, but but the party that has the biggest leverage in negotiating things was, uh, was the NDP. So um, for people that that don't know, what are new democratic party? And it was under the leadership of Jack Layton, very tragic story because he, uh, he was kind of like a Bernie Sanders type, uh, maybe less radical because he kind of preceded him, but uh, he, they hold values that are very uh, leftist and trying to, um, more more people oriented than the very corporate uh liberal party and conservative party so um yeah so so he was kind of um let's say uh, uh his personality won a lot of people over and by some massive shock just like you guys ha- have this sense that or just in general uh, that there can only ever be two parties and a third party can't rise up. I think it's a very important lesson what happened in Canada because we thought the exact same thing uh, until a few weeks before the uh, the election that year. Um, the polling just started shifting. Like every time that they would poll, it would go up three points, four points, kind of like uh, I guess Bernie had a similar trajectory, but it if it just kept going, then uh, maybe he would have won in 2016. Uh, but so 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 with with Jack Layton, um, it kept going up, and particularly in my province of Quebec, which has a lot of seats to contribute to uh, the election results, um, a huge wave uh, it turned orange. Orange is the color of NDP. The whole the whole province, so many. Uh, places voted for him. Uh, a, a lot of candidates, in fact, were—I I wouldn't say joke candidates, but but they they just didn't think in a million years that they would have been voted in. But because of just the momentum behind his popularity, and when people started seeing the polling and started seeing that the NDP had a chance, uh, it, it snowballed effect where people said, "Oh, maybe I will consider voting for a third party this time," and uh, then. Sure enough, uh, he had a big thing. But why I said it was tragic is that uh, he had cancer and uh, he died like two weeks, uh, two months into his uh, first term. So, um, and you know, there's there's conspiracy theories about what happened there, but (laughs) I'll leave that to the side. Uh, It's very sad that that happened because there's a what could have been uh, scenario, but. I think for anyone who wants to fight for uh, third parties, like you guys surely do, um, there's a lesson there that uh, 
as soon as people start thinking that they believe that third party has a chance, there's a snowball effect that takes place where all of a sudden uh, people are more and more on board and they start thinking that it's a, a, something that they could do. Um, and that's how you win. Yeah, I don't know if it was Ron Paul. He might have been quoting somebody, but he likes to say that nothing can stop an idea whose time has come. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> we're getting a little bit towards the end of this, uh, but uh, wanted to uh, give a shout out to the a big event that's going to be happening in Washington. Uh, there's going to be the uh, Rage Against uh, the War Machine uh, event, and uh, Jimmy's going to actually be speaking there. Uh, Medea Benjamin from Code Pink is going to be there. Uh, Scott Horton, which I guess would be kind of like our our foreign policy kind of like guru in the libertarian world. He's the, or like, I, I like to call him the uh, Stephen Hawking of foreign policy. He's going to be there. Uh, I really hope we can get Scott Horton on the Jimmy Dore show someday. Um, I think a lot of people would like him because he would be a really good place for people to go when they want to get like some really like, like really good solid, like evidence. Like when people try to, you know, challenge them, you know, on facts, Scott's just got them all like ready to go. But, uh, yeah, Garland Nixon's also going to be there. David Swanson uh, from World Beyond War. Uh, and yeah, it's. Uh, I'm hoping more people are going to jump onto this too, but it's going to be a kind of a, a, a combination of like the Libertarian Party, anti-war activists, and uh, the People's Party. And uh, Mikey, are you in the People's Party? Or are you like interested? What do you, what, what, what's your view of the People's Party? Uh, the... People's party. Well, it seems like lately that their um, their activity has died down a bit. Uh, but I will say that the way that our server, Discord server, kind of connects to the People's Party is that there was a uh, uh, internal uh, fight about a year ago, and a lot of people who were against the People Party kind of flowed into the server and started making. Um, kind of accusations and uh, making uh, a case for why people should leave the, the people's party. Um, so there's, there's that dynamic to it. I'd say right now, if I'd compare them to the libertarian party, libertarian party is way ahead in terms of uh, enthusiasm and in a plan. And I mean, you guys have been around a lot longer. Uh, people's party is kind of a, more of a new idea that branches off from the, the Bernie movement. Um, so that's my view. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I like the, the people's party uh, being there. Uh, I like working with them. I, I have kind of a strategy for, you know, like if we can have a anti-authoritarian left party chewing on one side of the political spectrum by the libertarian party, and, and not to say that, you know, you couldn't have, you know, libertarian party picking up leftists, you know, like I, like I kind of was picked up, but the, you know, uh, basically have two anti-authoritarian parties both chewing on like one end of the political spectrum. I think that could, that would really help people be like, well, they're not just the spoiler because there's this other party you can join on the other end, you know, to kind of, you know, bring down the, the, basically if you're trying to get to 33% of the vote in a three-way, you know, competition, it's harder than trying to get to like 12, 25 plus percent in a four-way competition i think so i I don't know it seems like it's a it's a shorter distance to travel but yeah well i think the anti-authoritarian left and the libertarians 
align on like maybe 80 or 90% of things. Uh, we, we, we both see a lot of the problems and the problems are just, all you have to do is look like anyone can just look and they'll see the problems. It's not like, uh, it's not like we discovered something. It's just that a lot of people are uncurious. And I think that that's, that's what the both groups share in common is that they, uh, are curious people who are have been deceived one too many times, and they're like, you know what? Maybe I won't believe you next time. Uh, I would love it if people did. Uh, do you guys have a couple minutes to take a couple quick calls? I'm good. Okay. Uh, yeah. These and if you got a if you got a jet, Peter, I understand you're on your lunch. So, uh, yeah, these are just going to be like a couple of minutes, and and then we'll probably have to close this down. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, take uh, Sean. Sean, go ahead. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say that like uh I think Jimmy like Force the Vote's coming. I was I worked with Force the Vote. I was part of the Slack or the leadership of the Slack and that's kind of new. And the thing is G- Jimmy like actually has a level he, he resonates anger and it's an anger that a lot of us don't feel and a lot of times it's well directed. Now I'm not gonna say Jimmy Dore is perfect because I've actually also worked with the People's Party and I, you know, you call it an accusation, but out of like six years of running, they still haven't ran a single candidate and they still aren't in the, on the ballot in so many states and they're still asking for donations. So to me, that just it, it's just like, you know, why would you continue to give people like that money to run candidates when they don't run candidates? And I know some stuff about Nick Brana, but I don't need to go there. I, I just kind of want to say that, like, um what Jimmy did, and this actually, I was thinking about it today, just looking at the force the vote stuff, was that the real division on the left, like re- like the left is divided. That actually really only came to a head at force the vote when he had like Jank Uger and the majority report, Sam Cedar there, and then even Ryan Grimm all coming out in complete defense against the squad of like, hey, you can't force the vote because it's crazy, bro. And now the Republicans are doing it and it, it, you're seeing it work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a shit show. But like, if, if like, if, yeah. If the squad had done it, that would have been so insane. Like, I guarantee you, you would have had more progressives running and actually, like, real progressives willing to change the system This la- and had actually getting elected if the squad had been willing to force the vote on that stuff. And what happened was you had a whole bunch of establishment hacks who get their money from Washington, who get their money from people having only one place of information and actually challenging getting people to think about the system differently is what Jimmy Dore is great at. And it's the one thing that pissed like people like Sam Cedar off more than anything. And that's why he's had like this, like hard on against Jimmy Dore or for Jimmy. I don't know where, where he's at with that mentally or personally, but it, it is what divided the left. And now you have the people who are kind of rah, 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 like let's continue, you know, the, the system as it is and just, you know, work around the outskirts. And then the people are like, we've seen this, this is not working out. And that, and that's really what Jimmy Dore did. And, you know, I still have like, again, you know, I disagree with him. His, his, him continue to have connection with Jackson Hinkle is a serious problem for me. Cause Andrew Tate can burn in a fire, but, um, yeah, I agree. But the the point is, is that like, I think, I think that the major element of who Jimmy Dore is and that the reason that he resonates with people is simply because of the fact that he, he's angry and he actually makes valid points and he gives leftists the ability to feel 
like value from being angry. And it's not just some passive pussy bullshit. Sorry, yeah, yeah that, that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's, it's very true. Uh, one little, I, I don't really disagree with any of that as far as, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that Jimmy gets angry and, you know, displays attributes of bravery. And uh, I, I definitely think that a lot of Democrats display attributes kind of to the to the opposite of that. But one thing I will say in uh, the People's Party uh, defense is that it is extremely hard to establish a political party anywhere and one of the things the libertarian party is constantly running up again is ballot access and continuing to constantly have to pour money and volunteers like thousands of hours and tens of thousands of dollars just to mean ballot access in certain states and it is a constant struggle so while yeah i mean i'm uh, yeah i i feel some sympathy for the people's party starting out from scratch it's it's very difficult to get established and it's one of the reasons why it was such a big win for the Mises caucus to take over leadership positions in the libertarian party, because we, we essentially got to uh, gain control of that apparatus that actually has an insane amount of value to it. As far as like access for candidates across the the nation and, um, and brand, honestly. So cool. If I'll, if I'll comment on uh, the force to vote that he brought up, uh, I, I think that, um, that was such a super move from Jimmy Dore to have that insight. And I, I, you could tell when he introduced the idea that he kind of woke up one morning and, and had this idea and knew that it was going to be something big. Um, mm-hmm. Because the, well, actually the, like the only thing that they could have done to, for him to have a loss is to ignore him. But it was also such a, such a good idea and a strong idea. Even like Sam Harris was at first on board with it and it caught fire and every, all the podcasters were talking about it. So they kind of had to respond. And as soon as you respond or you're forced to respond, yep. it's over because the only, either you're exposed as a fraud, which is basically what happened with uh, a, a lot of politicians, including AOC who commented on it. Uh, but also a lot of podcasters, uh, a huge swath of podcasters all jumped on board to attack Jimmy Dore on the idea and making all of their arguments were without grounds that were based in falsehoods and all this stuff. So it, it really exposed uh, and, and, and a lot of passive people who are maybe were watching both sides because like I was, I was a fan of um, that the Canadian David Dole until he uh, he attacked uh, Jimmy Dore, and it's like, well, that's that was another heel turn uh, turn moment. Um, sure. Kyle, Kyle it was was pretty bad on that. But but what's what's good is that you know there, there was a lot of theories about how these people are corrupt, but never really they were never tested on it, and that was a test. And either you passed or you failed. And we saw all of the people who failed, and that that was so useful for us. To be like, well, okay, now we know what the truth is. Well, yeah, think, yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, I'm going to try to keep this moving because I, I think we got to get get going. But uh, Sam, uh, Samurai, or uh, yeah, if you you said you had an update from somewhere, yeah, uh, Rhode Island. Um, so the Providence DSA, uh, actually, the Democratic Socialist America, that chapter um, is poised to vote on uh, establishing its own party in the state. Um, to run its candidates, um, and it's a very unique uh, member of the um, of the chapter, and it's a really unique chapter because we um, have been, I think, pretty principled on big questions in DSA um, 
around electoralism while simultaneously being very successful at getting candidates into office and holding them to account. Um, I, I can give examples of that if folks want, but like, I, I would consider us like one of the best chapters in the country in terms of like, you know, if, if you were to pursue um, any sort of electoralism, how to do it um, in a decently uh, good way from a, from a socialist view. Um, and I, I personally think, I mean, I think force the vote was uh, it sort of opened people's eyes, but I think that the actual, like the final nail in the coffin was around the, um, the iron dome vote. Um, and because I say this because, you know, ostensibly, you know, if anywhere in the left is going to be the place to, you know, cause a ruckus and have actual strategy. Um, it's going to be uh, the, it would have been the DSA um, as the sort of biggest socialist organization chapters all over the country endorsed many of these people in Congress and has, you know, a shit ton of people endorsed locally. But I mean, they're the, the complete utter like indifference and, you know, lack of uh, accountability for any of the people who voted either for, like Bowman voted for the Iron Dome funding um, AOC voted, uh, present, I mean, no accountability whatsoever. Um, and in fact, the people who raised the prospect of holding them accountable and tried to get chapters to rally, um, to get them, uh, to get Bowman expelled in particular, uh, that, that group of people, um, and those chapters were punished. So I think for me, that was like, I was like, wow, like these people on the left are totally unserious. Um, and I was, um, I was, uh, also a member of the force the vote slack. And I think I, I remember you, Sean. Um, so it's good to see you. But, uh, you know, the, the thing that really shocked me was it was true that like this playbook, this force the vote strategy literally came from the DSA's Medicare for all working group. And I was in the working group, the national working group. And I was at the time, um, you know, somewhat friends with the national uh, one of the national chairs. And, and I brought this up and um, nobody wanted to hear about it. Like it was, you know, dismissed as well, it's not gonna work. And, oh, well, maybe we'll, you know, they didn't even wanna bring it up uh, to the national level. They, they had their, uh, you know, local um, healthcare workers alliance. That was the only group within this sort of national working group around Medicare for all who was even willing to take it up to a vote. That vote did pass, but like it was a group that didn't really have much power to do much of anything. Um, yeah. it, was, it was very late in the game. So just like complete, utter um i don't know like uselessness and i i attribute it mostly to the fact that a lot of people on the left are like professional managerial class types who really have never struggled with you know healthcare or housing you know in their lives like frankly like they don't not they do not have the urgency that i've seen with people like who actually struggle with this stuff on a day-to-day -day basis um and I, I agree that like there's a lot of people who it's just sad to see go down like uh I, I did really respect Kyle Kalinske and I've lost a lot of respect for him for staying silent on a lot of these things. And I've gained a lot of respect for people like Brianna Joy Gray, um, who have not stayed silent. Right. Uh, well, I, <clears throat> I don't have too much to say about any of that, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I feel like I, I feel more at home with people who are working class people than the, like you said, the managerial class. Uh, I, uh, do, do you think uh, the DSA is going to have any kind of a presence at the Rage Against the War Machine rally? I don't. I don't actually know if the because the only group that would even maybe even consider it is the Internationalism Committee. Um, but frankly, like the the National Political Committee, the ruling body in between convention for DSA, is just so stacked full of, um, well certainly democratic party operatives, but like just people that have, don't give a shit about 
um, any of this seemingly or, or, or the, the, the idea of holding anyone accountable um, well, that I don't think that DSA as a, as a body definitely will not have an official presence there. I mean, I, I think there will be members there, um, but the only real like the only thing to watch personally for DSA for me is um, to see what happens at our annual convention 2023 biannual. Sorry, um, because if 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 there isn't like, you know, a radical like revolution and an overturning of a lot of the structure in DSA, then uh, personally, I, I won't be staying in the organization any longer. And I, I think it'd be just a useless cog um, on the Democratic Party of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I. I, I definitely have been seeing that. I feel like there's a kind of, I mean, the last couple of years has been kind of like a great realignment of, of politics and people and people kind of switching which group that they feel um, best uh, stands for what they believe in. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, anyway, uh, I, thanks for so much for your call. Uh, we've got to go. Uh, but uh, maybe we should have another conversation like this again sometime, Mikey. Uh, I really enjoy talking to people uh on the left and uh you know especially people who are interested in third parties and sure thank you uh, follow us on twitter at l at lpmc oregon that's lpmc oregon for the oregon mises caucus we'd love to talk to you on there and maybe schedule another time for you to be a guest on the show anyone listening yeah and if you want to join our discord i uh, don't really have a link handy but i'm sure if you just google it you can find us and uh, door show Discord. And I, I am actually going to be sorry, launching. What's a, the deal? So, sorry, what? I was going to call the Jimmy Door Show Discord. It's probably on Discord. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh for the us? Twitter handle. Um, I'll put it in the chat. It's at LPMC oh. Oregon. LPMC Oregon, yeah. And uh, I am also uh, starting a peace-based coffee. Uh, brand where I'm going to be donating uh, money uh, from a, a, any of my sales to uh, 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 foreign aid organizations like the Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. Uh, if you want to sign up for that when that launches, hopefully it'll be launching sometime soon. I'm having some issues getting it going, but uh, if you go to peacehawk.coffee, that's the web address, you can uh, give your email and get on the sign up sheet. And uh, once that gets started, I'll, I'll let people know about that. So. That's my plug. So uh, anyway, uh, thanks everyone for coming. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll try to do something like this again. This was fun. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, everyone have a good night and uh, cheers. Cheers.